Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. So uh, I don't have an invite card, but uh, I want to encourage you. Uh, that's no the invite card. There's one more week in our Who is God series. This will be our sixth week, and we've spent uh, six weeks, including this week, talking about the idea of who who is God and the idea of, of learning uh, not just about God. Many of us know a lot about God. We have a, a framework about God. Maybe we grew up Catholic, or maybe we were non-religious, but we understand the different ideas of God. Or maybe you uh, uh, grew up as a Muslim, or maybe you grew up in the context of just North America, where the idea of God is something that we hear about and we talk about uh, somewhat on a regular basis. Or, or maybe you just have this idea, the framework about who God is. But the goal of this series is to help you really come to a place where you have a loving, growing, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You don't just know about him, but you actually know him. You actually are in relationship with him and engaging him in, uh, in a walk with, with, with God. And so I want to encourage you to grab an invite card, invite someone to come back next week as we talk about Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is present. The Lord is there. The Lord is here and it'll be a great week and then uh, we have uh, our guests and then we're starting a new series called heaven and hell and it's going to be an amazing series if you ever wondered about that we're going to look at what the bible what does the bible teach about the afterlife and we're going to spend three weeks on that and we're basically the whole premise of the entire message is this is that there's two alternatives one of them is completely with god and one of them is completely without god and and we will take time to talk about how a loving god created a place for you to live for an eternity and and i want you to invite people that maybe don't know the lord that can come and hear the message of jesus and the, the life that he has for them after we die and so i encourage you to invite people to that and we'll have those cards i think next sunday let's give Brittany a hey yo hello say go Brittany. come on girl should i make you stand up and okay that would make Brittany very upset with me Last week we talked about the Lord is my shepherd. If you missed that, you can listen online. But what we talked about was the idea that, that, that God is like a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And that he actually pursues you that when you're in the most darkest place of your life, when you are in the darkest valley of your existence, when you feel like there, there is nothing else that you can encounter uh, before you, you can, you, your, your limit is, is above your head, you, you, you're overwhelmed, you're, you're uh, overwhelmed by the realities of life, that the Lord our shepherd comes and he cares for us and he, he tends to us and he shepherds us and he heals us and he restores us and it doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter where you've been, it doesn't matter the things you've said, it doesn't matter how long you've been far from God, it doesn't matter the capacity of sin that you've had in your life, it doesn't matter. The shepherd, our shepherd is continuously and constantly pursuing you and wants a relationship with you in your life. And so, we talked about how the Lord is our shepherd. He's constantly doing that for our lives. And this week, we're going to take a step further in that idea and talk about a name of God, which is Jehovah Side Canoe. Jehovah Side Canoe, which means the Lord is our righteousness. The Lord is our righteousness. We're going to read our key text today found in Jeremiah 23, verses 5 to 6. And it reads like this. For a time is coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line, and he will be a king who rules with wisdom, and he will do what is just and right 
throughout the land. And, and, and uh, I'm sorry, he will do what is just and right throughout the land, and this will be his name. The Lord is our righteousness. And in that day, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. And this will be his name. The Lord is our righteousness. Now, before I continue as we give context to this, this message, I believe today that many of us are here from different areas of life. Some of us are not Christian. Some of us are brand new Christians. Some of us have been far from God and would like to come back to him and are trying to figure out how. Some of us are avid, passionate followers of God. This message, in my personal opinion, after my study of the names of God, this name of God, this message today, I believe is a key to unlocking a passion for God like you've never had before. I think that when we can experience Jehovah's side canoe, that we can experience the Lord is our righteousness, that this is a key to uh, continuously being in a passionate relationship with God your Father. And I really believe today that this message is for all of us in the room, not just those in the room who are far from God or unchurched or don't know God or aren't in a relationship with God, but also for those in the room who are passionate followers of God. All of us are on the same playing field with this message. It's not this person, it's for and not that person. It's for every person in this room, including myself. So I believe today there's a key here to unlocking something in your life in your walk with God. Jeremiah is the prophet here, and Jeremiah was a prophet. What a prophet is, is somebody who hears from God, uh, hears from Yahweh, speaks on Yahweh's behalf to a people. So that's a prophet. And Jeremiah was a prophet, and Jeremiah was a prophet within the, the, the 13th year of King Josiah's reign. So Josiah was about, you know, maybe 30 years old or so at this time when Jeremiah started prophesying the word of the Lord. And Josiah uh, was uh, the son of Manasseh. And Manasseh was the son of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was an amazing king. He, he followed after God and he made some mistakes. But overall, Hezekiah was a man after God's heart. He was a great king. But then his son Manasseh reigned for 55 years and was by far the worst king that had ever been in kingship over the throne he was the worst king. He was a mass murderer. He was an idol worshiper. He built uh, uh, idolist temples all throughout the nation and rejected the God of Hezekiah, rejected Yahweh God, rejected Jehovah, and he began to build temples and prostitute shrines. And he, he, he went so, so far as to give, offer his own son as a living sacrifice to the God of Molech. He laid his own son on an altar and crew and murdered him and killed him as a sacrifice to this false god Moloch. And all throughout the nation, the Manasseh spread all of this anti-god, all the other gods and uh, idols and shrines and temple prostitutes and all these different introductions of many different gods all throughout the nation. And he caused the people of God to be in a place, in a city, in a nation where sin was prevalent. It was prevalent in that, in that place. And for 55 years, he started his kingship at 12 years old. For 55 years, the longest standing king. He was the worst, most sinful king. And when Manasseh died, great judgment was poured out on Israel and Judah. And then a young man, eight years old, Manasseh's son, named Josiah. 
Josiah was born. Eight years old, took the kingship over the nations. Eight years old, he found this book of law, which was called the Torah or the book of Moses. And he read the book of Moses. Someone read him this book to him. And as he's reading this book of Moses, God began to do something in this young man's life. At the age of eight, he was radically encountered by God. He fell madly in love with him. His heart was transformed. And so he began to legislate, politically legislate morality across the nation. He was a very righteous king. And he began to, he began to cause all the, the asterisk poles to be torn down and the idols to be demolished. And he went and destroyed the, 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 the temples that Solomon had built to the random gods. And he took down all of the, of the ancient gods and all of the temple worship and all of the sexual idolatry. And he destroyed it all. He tore it all down. Revival was happening in the nation because Josiah began to legislate morality. It was a great day to be a Alive, where revival was spreading all across the land. I mean, Jeremiah and Josiah were great friends and they must have been celebrating the great things that God was doing in their city and in their nation. He was doing something great. But what he was doing was, is he was legislating morality from the top down all across the nation. He was making every law in the place a Christian law. No more Moloch worship. No more sexual idolatry. No more shrine worship. No more of these types of things in our nation. We will only serve Yahweh. And he gathered all the people together and all the Levite priests. And they stood before him and they made a personal commitment as a nation that we will serve the Lord all the days of our lives. And they surrendered their hearts, or they surrendered their lives to him. And they, they all made this public confession with their mouth that we stand here today and say, we will serve the Lord Yahweh for the rest of our days. But something began to shift. Very shortly, after this righteousness was being legislated, Meanwhile, all of this revival was happening across the nation. All throughout the nation, these things were happening. But Jeremiah was still prophesying to the people to turn their hearts. So you looked across the nation and things begin to get better. Things begin to look better. There was less sexual morality and there was less idol worship and there was less people following the wrong gods and people were, were, were uh, like looked as though they were turning their lives to him. And Jeremiah, in the midst of this great revival, was crying out to the people, turn your hearts to God. He's crying out. He's called a weeping prophet. And he's weeping and he's crying out to the people, please turn your heart to God. And people are looking around saying, Jeremiah, are you awake? Like, look what's happening. Do you see all the things that are happening across this nation? Do you see what God is doing? Don't you see all the people that are giving their lives to God? Like, look at all the people who are no longer doing these bad things. And he says, no, turn your heart to God. Jeremiah was prophesying to the people to turn your heart to the Lord. Something had shifted in the nation when they began to legislate holiness and morality. You cannot legislate Christian morality because the reality is, is that that will only change an external behavior. It will not change someone's heart. And that's what happened in this story. We find that self-righteousness became 
it became the mantra. It became everything that they did. And now they were outwardly looking the part. They were outwardly not doing those things. They were outwardly living this life. But in reality, their hearts had not been changed. And so self-righteousness came upon the people. And what we would call it today is I would call it a legalism or even a religion came across the nations. And now they were a religion of Christian people, but their hearts had not been turned to the Lord. They were a religious people and they, 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 they did religious things and they had a religious outcome for their lives, but their hearts had not been turned from the Lord. And in a matter of days of this massive revival that God wanted to do, it was completely stifled. And the move of God, which God intended to accomplish in that day, was stifled because of their self-righteousness. I imagine Jeremiah probably had a conversation with God saying, God, what's happened? We've eradicated all these things. We've, we've, these people have stopped sleeping around. They've stopped sleeping with prostitutes and they've stopped offering God, foreign gods and they've started looking a certain way. They don't talk the same way and they start acting differently and they start looking the, like, what is going on? I don't understand. Why is this happening, God? We've worked our whole lives to, to, to bring the people of God to a moment where they turn their hearts to you, oh God. God, why is this happening? Because Jeremiah, deep in his heart, wanted to see the people of God experience a relationship with Jehovah, Saikanu. He wanted them to experience the Lord is our righteousness. And in our key text today, a verse prior, in verse 4, it says, And they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. And God is talking about the people what had happened is, is that because they legislated morality, the people and the, the spiritual leaders of that day, the, the priests, the spiritual leaders, the church leaders, the political leaders, the leaders of that day had begun to turn a message of love and a message of God's compassion and a message of God's faithfulness and a message of God's relenting passion for these people into a fear-based message where if I don't read my Bible, God won't be pleased with me. If I don't go to church and I don't give my money and if I don't give to charity and if I don't do these things, then I won't make it into heaven and then I, I won't have a relationship with God and God won't love me like I want him to love me. And if I just don't do these performance things, then this angry God will smite me. And it went from a message of love and a message of compassion and a message of desire and a message of God being the great shepherd chasing after his people to the people looking at this God from an angry or fearful perspective where they were terrified of the outcome of their lives if they didn't perform for this God so that he didn't come down and smite me and send me to hell. It was this idea that began to happen where religion took place in the lives of people and their faith in God was now based no longer on a loving relationship with God, but a performance relationship with God. So these sheep were afraid. And then Jeremiah brought some hope. <laughs> he brought some incredible hope to this story by saying this, but listen, I want you to know a time is coming when I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line, he will be a king who rules with wisdom 
and he will do what is just and right throughout the land. A day is coming when a leader, when a shepherd, when a, when a spiritual leader will come and he will be your righteousness. He will do something in your heart, not just on the external. You won't just look the part anymore. You won't just feel badly about what, how you live your life. You, you won't just look at the outcome of your existence and think, oh, I'm not good enough. No, a righteousness is coming that will actually change your heart. It'll transform you from the inside out, not the outside in, from the inside out. I am sending one, said God, and here, Jeremiah is talking about, obviously, King Jesus. And that one Jesus, Jehovah Sidekanu, will come and he will die on a cross and he will become our righteousness, which means that you and I will never be able to do anything in our existence that will ever make God happy. And the reality is, is because God already loves us because he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins so that he becomes the perfect sacrifice of righteousness so that when God looks at his people, he does not see a sinful people. He does not see a people who've run wayward like sheep. He sees a loving, grace-filled, covered with the blood of Jesus Christ, the Jehovah's side canoe will come and he will be our righteousness once and for all. Amen. Romans 4, 5 and 6. But people are counted as righteous not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. David also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. What joy for those who've embraced Jehovah's side canoe. The Lord is our righteousness. Those are the individuals. Those are the ones who are made right with God. Not the ones who live religious those who have a relationship are made right with God. It's interesting if we, if we jump over to the New Testament for a moment, we actually see that this happened, you know, thousands of years ago with the people of Israel and Judah and Jeremiah and Josiah and Manasseh. We jump all the way over to the New Testament where Paul, in the book of Galatia, Galatians, he came to Galatia and planted this church and uh, among this church was many Jewish individuals who had heard and read the same story that we read today. They watched and, and, and pondered the same stories and the same history and the same examples of what happened back in that day. And Paul here comes to the people of Galatia after he planted the church and came back. He wrote a letter to them because he heard what was going on. And he wrote this in the verse, Galatians 1, 6-7. A short time ago, God called you to follow him. He called you by his grace that came through Christ. But now I'm amazed at you. You've already turning away and believing something different than the good news. Really, there is no other good news, but some people are confusing you and want to change the good news of Christ. These people who were trying to change the story or the message of the gospel were Jewish Christians who are passionate for the things of the law. They were actually sincerely trying to help these people experience a relationship with God. But they were Jewish people who were passionate for the things of God, who had lived an entire life studying the historical record. Their, uh, their, their, their mindset of knowing God was so legalistic and so religious. And Paul's heart went out to these people because he knew that it was built into the framework of people that when it comes to a relationship with God, we know if I can just do the right things well enough, then I'll have a relationship with God. 
If I can just act perfectly, if I can just give perfectly, if I can just look exactly like he needs me to look, then he will accept me. And Paul saw this as a problem and he knew it was very, very hard for them. But I want you to hear me today. They had no supernatural power and the Holy Spirit was not involved in their relationship with Christ. They studied the Torah day and night. They had 613 rules that they had to obey. Can you imagine that you had to be a biblical scholar just to understand how to live according to the Sabbath? And then what they would do at the end of the day is they would, if they, if they walked up to a Gentile and they would touch their clothes or shake their hand, they would actually have to go change their clothes and wash their hands because the, the person was considered unclean. And at the end of the day, they would take their 613 lists of laws and they would do an inventory on their life. And if they messed up in one of those things, they saw themselves as a complete failure. I can't believe I sinned today. I can't believe I touched a Gentile and didn't wash my hands today. I can't believe it was the Sabbath and I ate a cracker today. I can't believe, I can't believe that that's who I've turned out to be. And then they would go down the, the inventory the next day, and if they did it perfectly, they would walk around with pomp and circumstance, with pride in their hearts, saying, look at me, I accomplished all the laws of the Mosaic law. I did it today. So it was either from feeling like a failure or being in a place of self-righteousness. And I believe that many of us, including myself, find ourselves in this dichotomy on a regular basis. Or we either feel like a complete failure because we never can amount to what God wants us to do. Or even sometimes what I feel like the church is telling me to do. I just, I can't amount up to that. And I try and I try and I just fail. Or, you know what, I've been in the church long enough. I got this thing figured out. And man, I can't believe those other Christians here are acting that way and talking that way. And the other day I was on the elevator and this person, they used a curse word. I'm, I mean, they're not a Christian and they don't read the Bible. And why would they not curse? But, you know, I'm a Christian and they're not. And their nose is up at them. So it's either pride or it's, I'm a failure. What Jesus wants us to understand is that you can live right between that place where you recognize that, yes, we are failures. That, yes, we are screw-ups. But guess what? Between the failure and the pride is the righteousness of God. It makes us live a peace-filled life knowing that there is literally nothing that we could ever do that will bring, that will amount to the sacrifice that he paid for us. We could never do anything that is just going to make him happy. The reality is, the reason we make him happy is because the righteousness of Jesus Christ is in our lives. And because of that, it satisfies God. And when he looks at us, he says, that's my son, that's my daughter. They're called. I love them. Yeah, they screwed up. Yeah, they sinned. Yeah, they made mistakes. But that's okay. I love them. I care for them. I want to be their shepherd. I want to be their righteousness. My blood covers a multitude of sins. And as far as the east is from the west, so I've removed your iniquity and transgressions from you. And that's the kind of God that we serve. This was a challenge for these people. This happens all throughout our world today in Tibet. The monks, they shave their heads and they wear the same outfit and they don't watch entertainment and they don't have sex and they don't drink and they don't, they don't live a, a life that normal people live in hopes that they can please these multiple gods that they are trying to please. The sun god and the water god and the wheat god and the wind god and if I just can live my life perfectly, 
then God will approve of me. Or in India, the prayer spinning wheel, this idea that if they keep this, this wheel spinning clockwise on a continual basis, the more they spin it, it's like saying prayers. And if they spin this quicker and they continually cause it to spin, it is a mounting up, like a filling up a bowl of righteousness so that one day when I die, I can go to this nirvana place of, of a pure bliss and an oasis of utopic utopia of wonderful life if I just keep spinning this prayer wheel. And even in our own country, the shrines of Canada at St. Joseph's Oratory of Mount Royal, these people are crawling on their knees up ladders, up these stairs to try to appease this God on their hands and knees, these young children and young people, and their hearts are so sincere. And I want you to hear me today. I don't look at these people and, and look at them with jest or with anger or with, uh, I don't think they're despicable. I think they want to know God. We want to know God so badly, don't we? We want to have a relationship with this God. We want to have a relationship with this Jesus. But I grew up Pentecostal, so it's a Pentecostal God. Or I grew up Nazarene, so it's a Nazarene God. Or I grew up a Mormon, it's a Mormon God. It's, I grew up as a Muslim, it's a Muslim God. We all have this deep, inherent desire to know this God, our maker, our father, who created us, who designed us, who gave us a purpose on this planet. And we all walk around aimlessly trying to please this God. And I want you to know today that simply a personal relationship with Jehovah's side canoe will cause all of that sense of failure and pride to cease once for all. And you can rest and know I'm okay in the sight of a loving God. You don't have to work your way into heaven or work your way into a relationship. I want you to see something here about this verse today. Galatians 5 continues. Look what it says. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free. Don't get tied up again in the slavery to the law. Don't slip back into religion. If you become a follower of Jesus, don't slip back to that place. That's what Paul's saying. Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you're counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I'll say it again. If you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, that was what the Jewish people were teaching them to do. That if you want to be a follower of Jesus, Gentiles, you have to be circumcised because most of the Gentiles were not circumcised. So he said, if you want to have a relationship with God, you got to go to the doctor and get circumcised, yeah. right? <laughs> All right. <laughs> Woo. So many mental pictures. I'm not going to go there. <laughs> what a thing to ask people to do. And Paul's saying, what? You're telling these people to be, they're all uncircumcised. You want all these people to get circumcised so they can have a relationship with God? That is false doctrine. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. But look what it says here. Very interesting. Verse 4, for if you are trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, look at this, you will have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. Now, I want you to hear me today because many of you here today are followers of Jesus and some of you aren't, and that's okay. I want you here today to tell you that you can have a life-giving relationship with God, but I want you to hear me. I believe the Lord, as I was studying this this week, he showed me something about the church. 
about many people who may be in this room today. You've wondered why I do all these things. I go to church, or, or maybe I used to go to church and I stopped because nothing ever happened and I gave my money and all these things happened. Why was there never any breakthrough? It's because your heart had never encountered Christ. And what happens in this verse, it says that when you and I get into a religious framework where we do moral things, we become religious people in our lives. The Bible clearly says that we are cut off from Christ. We are severed from grace. Now, Ryan, does that mean I lose my salvation? No. What it simply means is that you are not in the relationship that Christ wants you to be in. He wants you to be in a life-giving, together, passionate relationship with God. He wants you to be so passionate for him and so in a relationship with him that it's just not religion any longer. You've been cut off from Christ. You've been severed from a relationship with him. Your walk with God is stifled just like this revival of Josiah. It was stifled because the people were doing really good things, but they hadn't actually turned their hearts to the Lord. They hadn't actually yielded the areas of their life where there's failure or sin. They haven't yielded the areas of life where there was lack of trust or, or areas of their heart where they had been broken or hurt or bitter or upset or wounded or where they had tried it before. They actually hadn't said, okay, God, I don't want to just look like a religious person. I actually want to give you my heart. And when that happens something significant begins to happen in your life and you experience a relationship with God like never before. Okay, Ryan, well, okay, you've said all this, good. What do I do? How do I, how do I have a relationship with God? How do I experience Jehovah's side canoe? There's a story in Isaiah as we come to a close this morning. Isaiah 6. And it says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him were seraphim, each with six wings, with two wings above them. They covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. So this is a story of Isaiah. Isaiah was one of the most powerful, mighty men of God in the Bible. Okay, so this wasn't someone who was far from God. This guy was very close to God. And he was in the temple, and the presence of the Lord came down. God's presence came down. And in that temple, he saw angels, and they were crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And here's Isaiah, a mighty man of God, standing in the presence of God, looking at a righteous God, experiencing his presence in a mighty way. Look what it says. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah's standing in the presence of God. He's a righteous man of God. He's not a religious person. He is a passionate follower of God, standing in the very utmost presence of righteousness itself. And his only response to the presence of God is to say, I am so unclean, God. I am so desperate for you, God. 
I need you in my life, God. There's wickedness in my heart. I'm broken and I'm a sinner and I'm lost. God, I am a man of, I'm like a leopard. I'm a dead man in your presence, oh God. This righteous man of God, when encountered with Jehovah's side canoe, found himself saying, I have nothing to offer you. My good works won't offer you anything. My Bible reading plan doesn't offer you anything. My money means nothing. They are like filthy rags in your presence, oh God. I have nothing to offer this king, this God, this Lord, this righteous one. I have nothing to offer you. There's something very significant about Isaiah's response. When you encounter Jehovah's side canoe, you recognize that literally, I want you to hear me, literally there is nothing in your life no good deed, no good attitude, no money that you give, no tithe, no attendance. There is nothing in your life that you can offer God when you stand in the presence of a righteous God. We are simply broken and unclean people who say, God, I need you in my life. Look what it says in the scripture. And one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he'd taken with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. I want you to watch this now because I believe what I'm sharing with you could transform your walk with God. If you stand in the presence of God as a religious person, God took the initiation in this story. God stepped towards Isaiah and purged his sin and cleansed him from the inside out. God will only initiate those who respond accordingly. So you know, I've been a Christian my whole life. Or, uh, I'm a good person. What do you mean? I'm a, I'm a good person. I do good things. That's awesome. But in the presence of a holy God, there is nothing that you can offer. God steps towards your brokenness. He steps towards your need for him and your recognition that you are not good enough and I need you, God. I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I'm not a good dad. I'm not a good enough dad. I'm not a good enough father. I'm not a good enough person. God, just overall, I just cannot amount to who you are. And he says, that's okay. You don't need to. Jehovah's side canoe. The Lord is my righteousness. My righteous son, Jesus Christ, died so you don't have to try to be perfect. Look what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 3, and I'm almost finished here. I want to drive this thought home because I truly believe it could transform your walk with the Lord. Look what Jesus says. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. This is Jesus' opening statement in his Beatitude sermon. Some believe the most powerful sermon ever preached. His very first line his very foundation for the entire sermon is this. Do you know that you are blessed? That the kingdom of heaven is yours? That you will experience an encounter with the living God if you recognize that you need him in your life? That you are not good enough? That you don't offer enough to him? That guess what? You need the living God. This is called spiritual bankruptcy. 
And this word poor has two ideas. The first idea is that I got to work every day like a beggar to pay ends meet. I don't have a savings account. I don't have a stockpile. I basically have to go out and work this day to pay my bills, and then I'm at zero. And then I pay this day, and then I'm at zero. That is not the word being used here. The word being used here is a picture called Tocoso, picture of a young man or a woman, a beggar, who literally cringes, cowers down with hands in the air saying, I am so in desperate need for you to help me, oh God. Look at this scripture in Psalms. 116. I love God because he listened to me. He listened as I begged for mercy. He listened so intently as I laid out my case before him. Death stared me in the face and hell was hard on my heels up against it. I didn't know which way to turn and then I called out to God for help. Please God, save my life. God is gracious it is he who makes things right, our most compassionate God. And God takes the side of the helpless. When I was at the end of my rope, he saved me. Take that picture in your head for a minute. You're at the end of your rope. You come to the very end. You've got your resources. You've got your money. You've got your relationships. You've got your time. You've got your gifts. And you've got your talents. And you come to the end of your rope and you realize, I have nothing left to give. I have no more to give. I can't give more money. I just can't go anywhere else. I am at the end of my rope. Oh, God, I need you. I'm such a sinner. I'm so broken. I'm so lost and so lonely and so confused. And i got to stop pretending with you guys. I need God so badly in my life. When you do that, when you experience God in that way, when you respond in faith in that way, the scripture says, then you are made right with God. That is the moment in your deep spiritual bankruptcy when you reject the religious ideas that you've got it all figured out, that you've got all the scriptures memorized, that you've given enough, that you're doing enough. Reject that mode of salvation immediately and accept the there is nothing in your life and because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ we are made right with God and now we begin to live a life of morality we begin to live a life where our behaviors change not because we have to because we are responding in love because Jesus poured his righteousness on my life and because gosh there's nothing I can do that will ever amount to what God has given me but I stand in the very presence of God not cowering in fear but with boldness I can boldly approach the throne of grace and ask God for help in a time of need because he sees me as a man of God, a righteous son of God, called of God, and that's how he sees you too. But it's based on your faith response. Would you close your eyes here this morning? I want to pray for you this morning. I just believe I shared this message this morning. There are many people in the room. Two categories were some of you are just you're Christians. You're followers of God. You're here today, and you're coming to church. And you say, Ryan, what you said to me today is exactly where I'm at. I'm at the end of my rope. I have a dry, I'm dry, I'm cold on the inside, and I need someone to resuscitate my soul. All I know to do is to work. Work, 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 work. 
Come on, you're in room today, and you say, Ryan, that's me. I'm a, I'm a Christian, but I, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm a religious one. I, I've gone cold. I, I need God to come and, and transform me today. I need God to come and just encounter me in a fresh way today. Would you place your hand in the air real quick? Just put it up and put it down. I won't embarrass you. Just put it up in the air real quick. Come on, hands all across the room. Okay, you're here today, and you say, Ryan, I don't know God. Or maybe I did a long time ago. I was a Christian at a time, or maybe I was Catholic, or... I grew up in somewhat of a moral home, but today I realize that I've been trying to do exactly what you're saying. And I want to have a real relationship with my King. I want to have a real relationship with God. I want to have a real relationship with this Jesus that you're talking about. You're here today and you don't know the Lord and you'd like to get an opportunity to do that. I'm not going to embarrass you or call you forward. I'm just going to say a prayer and you can join me in that prayer. Would you place your hand in the air just right now and say, Ryan, I'd like to give my life to the Lord. I'd like to give my heart to God today first time, fresh and new. Come on, any more people? Come on, just real quick. I don't want to embarrass you. Just put your hand in the air and say, Ryan, I want to commit my life to Jesus today. Amen. Come on, why don't you stand to your feet this morning? We're going to pray a prayer. Every eye closed across this place. Church, I want you to repeat after me this morning. Come on, every voice, every vocal cord in this place, would you repeat after me real loud today? Come on, several people lifted their hands. Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you today. I am in need of you. I am broken and lost. I feel discouraged at times. I don't know where to turn. I feel empty inside. I need you to come right now and fill my life. Fill my heart. Transform my mind. Now I commit myself to you, not to working, but to loving. Today, I acknowledge that I need you in my life. And I want to start this journey today with you. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus.